going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 103 of the Core Consult RX podcast. I'm Mike Corvino, Cole Swanson with me as always. What's up, man? How's it going? Doing good. Excited for uh, things to open up a little bit. Heck yes. Mm-hmm. They started doing outdoor seating at the uh, restaurants beside my pharmacy. Did they? Packed out. Yeah. All day. We, uh, we actually went and ate dinner at one of the Mexican restaurants, mm-hmm. and uh, we got to sit outside. It was the first time I'd been to a restaurant in over yeah. a month. It was weird. Yeah. Very weird. It also took about an hour and a half to get our food, but that's okay. Because what we it looked like. happy to be outside. Sunday morning, there's like a uh, brunch place. Mm-hmm. I mean, the line was just down the parking lot. It's craziness. I'm also so ready for a haircut. You can't even imagine. Dude, my wife has come here twice. Has she? Yeah. What do you think this would look? I mean, I'd have like a mullet. I, I I was wondering how it stayed so pristine. Uh, so I'm thinking, if I can keep this going, mm-hmm. I could save some serious cash. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. the cosmetology industry is going to take a hit after this. Uh-huh, because so many people, guys, are realizing how easy it is to cut dudes' hair. Well, I won't say it's easy. It's a stressful experience, um, and I'm high maintenance. But, I can uh, see it. But, it, but she's doing a good job, I think. That's awesome. You know, have her cut it, you know, once a month, and then maybe twice a year I go in and have somebody, you know, clean it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Save some money. Yeah. I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to let Jen try. Because <laughs> I don't trust her. <laughs> well, I mean, worst case, you just shave it, you know. Ooh, and then I'll have to hear about it. You're bald. You look better with hair. <laughs> That's what she'd be saying. Is that how she sounds? Yeah. I got about three hours left before, or three years left before I'm just straight bald anyway. And then <laughs> she has to find somebody with hair again. But uh, yeah. So, topic today. Yes. What are we talking about? Going to be talking about tardive dyskinesia. So yep. We did uh, an Instagram poll and several people wanted to hear a topic on this. And so, yeah, we're going to probably end up turning this into a couple episodes at mm-hmm. least because oftentimes you hear tardive dyskinesia, but that gets lumped into extra pyramidal symptoms. And so we're going to probably break apart EPS and kind of go through the different types of EPS and things like that. But today we're really just going to focus on tardive dyskinesia by itself. Mm -hmm. Because while there's other uh, EPS symptoms, um, tardive is kind of its own thing. It falls under that umbrella, but definitely more serious. And we'll talk about um, how serious, but historically irreversible. That being said, we've had some new drugs come out the last couple of years, which are pretty exciting, things that we have not had in the past, uh, which means it might not be so irreversible, at least as much as it used to be. Yeah. So just to kind of clarify, um, if you hear the term you know, EPS, you're going to hear things that can kind of be lumped under that umbrella, like akathisia, um, Parkinsonism, um, dystonias, and, you know, other terminology and things like that. But tardive dyskinesia, like Cole said, is kind of its own separate thing. So we're going to kind of talk about that, even though there is a lot of overlapping between EPS and, and TD. And a lot of times if somebody experiences EPS you know, symptoms, like kind of early on in their, you know, antipsychotic therapy or whatever the case may be, that puts them at higher risk, most likely for tardive dyskinesia later on. Um, we're going to focus just on tardive dyskinesia and kind of go through the different drug options and things like that. And then we'll go back over EPS by itself. Yeah. Um, so uh, don't want to kind of confuse everybody with all this. Yeah. 
So my initial plan was to just try to do all movement disorders, and Cole was like, "That's that's dumb." Well, I look, it, it didn't seem too bad, and then we're like, "Oh, we can actually, you know, there's a lot to get into." And the thing is, is at this point, we're really stretching <laughs> for for topics that we feel anywhere remotely comfortable covering. So we got to make these things last. Well, what it means is we just have to learn some things. Ugh. Yeah, I think the whole point of this podcast is just to see how far we can stretch our knowledge and then just slowly just scale out of business that way <laughs> right so it's gonna be good yeah it's gonna be good so yeah, tardive well, dyskinesia um you know by definition that is like a, a fast movement or hyperkinetic if you will disorder um associated with a prolonged use of dopamine receptor blocking agents so when we think of that we think of typically like our first generation antipsychotics some possibly our second generation as well um, other drugs can also cause that, um, but we'll kind of go into those. But that's that's kind of like the broad definition of tardive kinesia itself. We'll talk about some other tardive disorders, um, tardive syndromes, um, just to kind of mention those. But tardive dyskinesia is the one you'll most likely discuss in you know general pharmacotherapy and things like that. Right, and like Mike said, um, usually is associated with antipsychotic therapy. Um, it has to do with dopamine receptors, and we'll talk about, um, like Mike said, uh, how it can occur. Um, as far as what it looks like, typical clinical manifestations um, can be brief, regular contractions that aren't repetitive or rhythmic, uh, but they kind of appear to flow from one muscle to the next. Um, can also be sinuous, slow writhing movements um, are very typical of tardive, and this can be called athetosis. Um, dystonia, uh, would be more of a sustained muscle contraction, right? So, um, an, an increase in tone or an odd tone, it can cause twisting, repetitive movement, uh, even abnormal postures. Um, other forms of tardive that like that are stereotypical would be like, uh, the lip pursing. You may have even had patients with this or, or known people with this, um, or they, uh, might express their tongue, um, and it's uncontrollable and frequently irreversible. Uh, lip smacking, uh, even chewing movements, all those are, are characteristic of, of tardive. And and so, and that's the usually the way it's kind of broken broken up to is the oral, bucolingual, you know, kind of facial dyskinesias. And then there's also like the limb and trunk and respiratory involvement as well. But like Cole was saying, all the different ways it can kind of be expressed in the face, there's so many different ones. Um, if you go on UpToDate, for those of you who have access to UpToDate, uh, one thing that's unique about if you if you're looking at the um, tardive dyskinesia um, article that's on there, they actually have um, clips that show patient examples of them experiencing that. So they have like an oral uh, bucolingual um, patient that's it's showing like the the puckering, the smacking of the lips, the the bulging cheeks. It's a really pronounced um, case of TD, and so it's it's a way of kind of seeing what that actually looks like. It's hard to read about that until you actually see it, right? Um, and then it's same with like the movements that involve like the, the, the limb or the trunk. Um, you know, you can, they have, uh, like twisting, spreading of the fingers. They call it piano playing finger movements, um, tapping the foot, um, things like that. Shoulder shrugging, um, rocking and swaying movements, hip thrusting, ro- um, rotating the hips. And they all have, um, clips that you can watch on up to date so if you do have access to if you don't have up to, uh, access to update sorry i don't mean to <laughs> maybe we can get do you, you some. have six hundred dollars yeah but if uh hopefully for those of you who do have up to date make sure you check those out because it is interesting and definitely something to kind of take a look at um as far as like 
what causes the tardive mm-hmm. dyskinesia. Obviously, we know kind of usually the culprit is a medication, but there's multiple kind of hypotheses as far as the true mechanism. Uh, and so one mechanism is that it, there's this upregulation of striatal dopamine receptors, and that happens after that chronic exposure uh, to a patient having low dopamine states. And that kind of creates this like super sensitive um, or super sensitivity to you know the side effects of the the drug. Um, there's also a hypothesis that talks about you know like actual structural changes to neurons um, or even like the dopamine receptors themselves. Um, you know we have dopamine one and dopamine two subtype receptors, and there's one theory that revolves around like the imbalance of those. Um, there's also hypothesis that talks about um, GABA um, and then like where you get this GABA blockade of the D2 receptors and that's going to increase the release of glutamate, um, which if you remember is like an excitatory neurotransmitter and that cytotoxic effects kind of can destroy um, the striatal and uh, GABA inhibitory neurons. And so you kind of have the patient more, again, more susceptible to these side effects to begin with. Um, so there's not really like a true definitive, like known mechanism. There's multiple hypotheses, um, but we still at this point don't fully know what's going on. It, it Maybe it's just a combination of several things, um, but those are the main four kind of recognized hypothetical mechanisms. Right. But I mean, they see that clearly it's associated with these dopamine blocking drugs. So right. pretty solid hypotheses, I would think. Yeah. They're at least associated with the drugs and... Um, now we have some options that could combat it. I do want to say at the outset that uh, if you're starting any patient on an antipsychotic, it's important to uh, make them aware that this is a possibility. Uh, if patients have a history of antipsychotic use, they may um, already know or have friends who have had this because they can be very self-conscious about it. Um, because if you've seen it, then you you might associate it with somebody that you might associate a psych disorder with and people know that. So there's not too many drugs where there is a actual physical manifestation that tells everybody that you're taking that drug. Uh, but Tardiv can be one and it's kind of a, a physical manifestation that tells people that you are currently or have taken antipsychotics. And so people might naturally associate it with that. So make sure patients are aware that this is a possibility before they start. Um, and, um, frequently monitor anytime you see them, um, be on the lookout or ask them about, um, these symptoms to, because getting uh, on top of it early can help. Uh, and you know, once it's permanent, it's permanent. And at that point you're having to treat. So, you know, like I mentioned too, um, the tardives, you know, the tardative dyskinesia is one type of tardive syndrome, um, which is kind of the overarching term. So there's other ways that this this can kind of manifest. And the way they break it up is, so we have like tardive chorea, um, which is going to be like rapid contraction of the limb, face, or trunk. Um, Tardive dyskinesia is more of the fast, repetitive, rhythmic movements. Um, Tardive dystonia is where you get this, like Cole said, the sustained muscle contraction. Um, and they also have things like tardive myoclonus, which is this like very rapid, um, almost like a shock-like jerk that patients can get. And then they have um, tardive tics, which is like a um, cranial um, musculature kind of stereotypical movement that we think of when we think of like a uh, 
like a, a true like tick and it can even be verbalized in some kinds of so patients will actually have like a grunt or um just little small vocalizations of that uh the the thing with because it's a tick it can actually be like voluntarily suppressed if the patient is trying hard to suppress it or if they're distracted by something else um but they are definitely bothersome and in, in decreased quality of life and things as well so yeah. those are all terms that you may see, and it's kind of the way they break it up, um, you know, uh, under the that tardive syndrome category. Right. Uh, so how common is it? You might think, well, I've never really seen a patient with this, even though maybe I've seen people with it in real life. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, so there was a meta-analysis that was done, included about 56 studies, 35,000 patients treated with antipsychotic drugs. Um, they found that about 20%, one in five, had some sort of tardive dyskinesia. Uh, going a little deeper, they saw that around 11,000 of those patients had some sort of spontaneous dyskinesia that wasn't necessarily associated with antipsychotic exposure because they weren't on an antipsychotic. Um, so taking that into account, you can, per this, you can expect about 15% of patients um, treated with an antipsychotic could um, have tardive dyskinesia. At the very least, it's going to significantly increase your risk for it. So there's a good chance that you're going to see somebody with it if um, your patient population includes anyone who could be taking these drugs. And so as far as like its actual, you know, pre like show, the way that it kind of actually presents its clinical course um, is it happens slowly. So it's kind of, kind of this insidious nature and it usually can happen over the course of as, as early as short as days, um, up to weeks while, you know, the patient's starting the drug and kind of tapering up. Um, but it also can actually, um, emerge after the patient has a reduction in the dose, which seems a little weird. Or if the patient has an abrupt, uh, abrupt discontinuation that can actually kind of throw it off as well. And that can happen, um, you know, later on as well. So there's patients that will be fine in the beginning and then all of a sudden a year or more after that sort of having these, these symptoms start to emerge. Um, or you know, like I said, again, if you stop it abruptly, um, they can have the symptoms emerge at that point. Right. Um, so it's not guaranteed that if you have tardive from one of these drugs that it's going to be permanent. So there is a spontaneous remission of tardive that's possible. Um, so discontinuing the um, affecting drug is probably what you're going to want to do. And there is maybe 50-50 chance that it just spontaneously remits. It's more likely to remit in younger patients uh, than older patients. So the incidence in older patients is more. Um, sometimes it can take a long time. It can take months to years for it to remit. Um, but still, a significant portion of those patients who have tardive are going to... Um, habit for the long term yeah and that's something i was because when i when you know i'm in school and things like that i remember thinking like well it's just a matter of getting the drug out of the system yeah and then there you get but no you which could we'll be, talk about that with other eps um, yeah. issues that that is a, a reasonable thing to do but with heart of it's different yeah could, could, i mean that in fact i've actually seen i saw this in a 20 year old patient who had been taking um I forget which, it was a first-generation antipsychotic, and they had been on it for a very long time. There's actually, it turned into this whole um, thing where maybe the patient didn't even need it, but they were, you know, keeping it on it for other reasons. Things. It was a whole mess. Um, and the patient had, I mean, he was 20 years old, and he had, I mean, severe, like, I mean, very obvious symptoms. Mm -hmm. 
and he had been off the medication completely for a year. And I remember him just, he's going, why is this not gone yet? Like, yeah. and we had to like explain to him, it may not. Yeah. And know, even if so, it does, it could still take yeah. three years before it goes away. Yeah. That's a, that's a really sucky conversation to have with a 20 year old. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't really mention this at the beginning either, but um, for any EPS type syndrome, the first generations are going to be um, higher risk because they have a higher affinity for um, the D2 receptor and more dopamine blockade is going to increase your risk for these symptoms. Yeah. So as far as like risk, risk factors, um, seems to be that women in general um, are at higher risk than men. Um, as well as ethnicity, African-Americans seem to be at higher risk than um, other, other races. Um, old age definitely is a risk factor. So uh, there's some studies that have, have estimated like you have a six times um, greater chance in patients who are 65 and over compared to um, you know, younger patients. And so you know, being extra cautious, which in most cases, especially with um, all the different adverse effects that can happen with antipsychotics and things like that, we're going to use a lot more caution in elderly patients anyway, but we definitely have to be aware that um, the chance of them developing TD is higher. Um, also, patients that have had some sort of, you know, exposure to um, or the whether the, the exposure itself has been, you know, for a very long duration. So they've been on the drugs for a long time. The longer they've been on it, the higher the kind of risk goes up. Um, they have uncontrolled diabetes, which is another one. Um, so, you know, obviously in South Carolina where we live, we have an incredibly high um, rate of uncontrolled diabetes around yes, here because we, we have terrible diets in South Carolina. And so it's something that I know I personally, until we were kind of like looking at stuff for this, uh, this podcast episode, diabetes actually wasn't one I was really even considering. No. Um, cause I actually, and it's one of the less established ones, but yeah. still, yeah, it is, it can increase your risk. Um, and patients that have had some sort of a traumatic brain injury as well seems to put them at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about some other drugs that can cause it as well. Um, metoclopramide, it's always a culprit you have to yep. be aware of. So we'll mention that, but, um, yeah. So we'll talk about that in a second, but those are the kind of the established risk factors. Right. So again, antipsychotic use, most common cause. Um, and then as far as tardive syndromes, that tardive dyskinesia is going to be the most typically seen version of that. Yep. Okay. All right. Want to talk about some, uh, clinical stuff, some treatment, what we got? I, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only the most important part of this, right? Only part we somewhat should be even talking about right yeah um, go ahead yeah but so before that um, we mentioned that younger patients uh, can remit remission rate for elderly patients is low um, but interestingly symptoms may not worsen like so if you have tardive and then you continue on the drug which uh, we generally do not want to do um, the symptoms may not worsen from that point but they very well may um, become permanent uh, frequently there can be distress and disability, um, caused by symptoms. And so that's why we want to treat. So I talked about the patient's feeling self-conscious. Um, also, I mean, I've, I've had patients who have it, who, um, it, it literally impairs their speech because they're having so many, um, uh, facial tics or tics with the mouth that they have trouble talking. And sometimes it's worse. So they'll even comment, they'll say, Oh, my tart is acting up again. So they're literally having trouble communicating with me. Um, so improving that and improving quality of life can be very beneficial to patients. All right. So, um, as far as the actual treatment of, uh, tardive dyskinesia, um, one of the first 
kind of things to, to go with. And, and I shouldn't even say tardive ischemia, but tardive syndromes in general um, would be, you know, as we are using these medications, specifically, you know, antipsychotics, we want to use the lowest effective dose possible. Um, and so that's kind of the first step. And then titrate them up as well. So you don't want to just start with a high dose antipsychotic, which if you're doing any psychiatrist is going to obviously know that. But if there are cases where, you know, maybe you're in a rural area where the patient doesn't have access to that and it's a family medicine doc or something that's working with patients, um, making sure that they're not jumping to higher doses and um, starting, it's kind of like the whole beta blocker idea of start low and go slow type of thing. Um, you know, when you're coming... If you do develop like those symptoms, then the big question is, should we, depending on what's causing, so if, let's say they're on a typical antipsychotic, so first generation, um, one, one thing we could do is potentially switch to an atypical. Um, now, as far as like the true data showing that it's, that that's effective, um, it's, kind of hit or miss as far as the, the different studies that are out there. But it's definitely something that's a reasonable choice to try um, and s- switching them from to a second generation, which is going to have um, a lot less specificity um, for a specific dopamine receptor. And, and that's going to hopefully um, take away some of that risk. Um, there's even like this um, cross taper strategy that you'll see with quetiapine or clozapine, which seem to be the, the two uh, and to second generations that have the least likely occurrence of any kind of, you know, EPS or tardive syndromes. And so there's, um, you know, switching to those or cross tapering with those two agents is one potential option. Yep. Um, the, and the other thing is to, um, and this is actually, um, from, Up-to-date has like a whole section on this where they talk about metoclopramide and they Mm -hmm. have, and they mentioned specifically, you know, if you have a patient, cause you'll see patients that have like gastroparesis or something like that going on where they're on metoclopramide, you even see it as an anti-emetic. Please, please, please don't do that. Yeah. Um, EPS and and tartar dyskinesia specifically is very, uh, high risk with metoclopramide. So, you know, understandably if the patient has gastroparesis or something like that, maybe they need, you know, that, um, medical my agent on board for a period of time, but they really recommend not using it can at least continuously for longer than 12 weeks because the risk will go up, um, from there. So if you have a patient that's been on medical for a long time, um, definitely looking at potentially stopping that, um, would be, uh, or, or never starting in the first place be, is even better, but medical is an agent you should, especially as pharmacists, you should be kind of looking at, um, as a risk factor. And yeah, if, we haven't done gastroparesis, have we? I don't think so. Nice. Another topic. Another topic. Write it down. Um, I, I know, I remember when I was, because uh, I don't do inpatient right now, but I remember like when I was in school on rotation, there was one hospital I was at that literally had, for, there was one um, floor that had like a standing order for metoclopramide is their, you know, anti-emetic. And I remember the pharmacist I was with like daily was like, can we please stop metoclopramide? <laughs> and they used on it. And um, so it's something that kind of, watch out for there's there's a group the american psychiatric association task force um kind of has recommendations out there about um tardive dyskinesia and one of the big things they talk about is long-term use of antipsychotic drugs in patients with like depression or anxiety um, even like chronic pain states and things like that they say is discouraged so 
there, there's a lot of data now coming out that shows some of these, like, you know, you'll see data with like aripiprazole and um, some of these drugs that are working in general depression disorder, especially ones that have other kind of subcategories of that, whether it's like depression with anxiety or mixed symptom depression, things like that, um, where you start seeing these antipsychotics kind of coming up. And they're, it's not that they're saying that you can't use that, but they want you to at least reevaluate them before you just put them on that long term and keep them on that. So that's something to kind of consider. And they, they also talk about, um, you know, they actually dropped the age down to 50 as far as really like watching these patients um, closely, even the ones that have schizophrenia and depending on whether or not they need to truly be on that. Um, they mentioned metoclopramide. And then they, they really encourage the use of the abnormal involuntary movement scale, which is the AIMS. Um, form you'll see that and that's you can download up the, the internet and take a look at it up to date has a version of it um and that's going to kind of like they want you to use that to kind of uh increase awareness of mild manifestations of tardive dyskinesia so they have a whole section and again go on up to date if you have access to that and there's a whole huge section on that task force yeah okay so what options do we have so what are the new kids on the block uh so the class is uh, second-generation VMAT2 inhibitors, so I'll talk a little bit about what those are. Uh, the names of the drugs are dutetrabenazine and valbenazine. Um, so valbenazine is uh, Ingreza, and dutetrabenazine is Ostido. So you may have heard of those um, already, but they are the new kids on the block and some of not some novel treatments for tardive dyskinesia because we didn't really have anything before. Uh, I did want to say that um, when a patient obviously has a psych disorder, they very well may need to stay on psychotic meds. So we talked about discontinuing the um, affecting agent for tardive, but that's not always possible or it's not always totally possible to get them off all dopamine blocking agents. Um, so if that's the case, you're going to need to have a risk benefit conversation with the patient and um, also consider um, the use of drugs to mitigate the tardive and allow them to uh, have better quality of life on their dopamine blocking treatment. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the mechanism of action. So uh, the VMAT is a vesicular monoamine transporter too. Uh, so we're inhibiting that and we're reducing the available dopamine via either alpha or beta metabolites. They block sequestration in the presynaptic vesicles and um, are ultimately um, just aiding um, dopamine signaling. So they're reducing dopamine levels in the presynaptic neuron, so there's less dopamine signaling to the postsynaptic neuron, um, and this helps um, reduce the involuntary muscle movements. Uh, some side effects of them are um, fatigue or somnolence, diarrhea, dry mouth. Uh, they both, you obviously, for the... Uh, reasons of the mechanism of action want to avoid MAOIs being taken with them. They do have a black box warning for suicide risk or suicidal ideation in patients with Huntington's disease. I believe the reasoning for that is because there's also a first-generation VMAT2 inhibitor called uh, tetrabenazine, and the brand name, it's kind of funny, but it's xenazine, uh, and that's specifically uh, used for involuntary muscle movements in Huntington's disease. Um, so it's sometimes listed as an option for TD. I don't think you're going to want to use that, especially for sure over the other two agents. Um, doesn't really have great evidence for it. 
but I think that the use of that in Huntington's has created this black box warning for um, suicidal risk in Huntington's for the second generation ones. Um, the um, dutetrabenazine, which is the Ostito, you usually start it as far as dosing goes at six milligrams per day. Uh, you can increase every week by six milligrams and the max dose is about 48 milligrams a day. Uh, but yeah, those are the options and um, they can be helpful. I've actually seen a patient uh, try both. I think they started out on Ingreza and didn't get the results that they wanted and they ended up on Ostito, but I think they're actually doing well on Ostito now. So it's interesting. And um, I, I, I'm looking to double check myself, but I think the um, Ostito is the one that has the black box warning specifically for that okay, suicide yeah. risk of Sorry. Huntington's disease. It's not aggressive. It's just Ostito. Right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, and then the other thing with valbenazine is the um, QT. I, I was thinking about the Huntington's disease, so you may have mentioned this, but QT prolongation is specifically something to watch out for with the valbenazine. Yep. Um, and so as far as like evidence goes, um, the valbenazine has better data. Um, so does the, uh, Ostito, the, um, Dutrabenazine. I can never pronounce that word. Um, they definitely have better evidence than like Cole was saying, the tetrabenazine, the older agent. Um, if you look at like, uh, psychopharmacology institutes, they, you know, when they summarize their data, they, they talk about that only being level C evidence. And so they have it listed as only possibly effective and a lot more severe side effects. So really that one, that first generation VMAT2 inhibitor should be kind of like, thrown off if, if at all possible and sticking with one of the new second, one of the two second generations. Um, you know, as far as Ingreza, um, that need in order to actually dispense that there's, you have to be a specialty pharmacy, um, or get registered. Cause I know that's one we ran into that uh, problem with trying to get that from the, for a patient. Um, we ended up having to like call the company, try to get registered. It was a whole long process. Yeah. Um, Ostito was actually, a lot easier mm -hmm. to get our patients on, at least for us, but we're not a specialty pharmacy. So for the pharmacists out there, if you're dispensing, um, definitely you can get access to it, but it's, it's not the easiest thing. And if you're one of like the big chain pharmacists, then I'm, I'm sure you have your, your specialty mail order facilities that you can go through and I'm sure they can get access to it, but just for your standard dispensing pharmacy, it's not going to be the easiest. So right. just to kind of be aware of that. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next thing that I think a lot of people kind of jump to is anticholinergics. Like you'll see cogentin, so benzotropine mm -hmm. and things like that. Now the, the big like kind of, I guess, switch and the way, um, this is treated is anticholinergics are actually with the most recent data shown to really not be all that effective for TD. Uh, and so anticholinergics, we, they have a lot of significant side effects, um, and there's a study that came out last summer, so uh, June or July of 2019, I believe, in JAMA, that uh, showed the increased risk of dementia in patients, elderly patients using anticholinergics. So because these patients are the highest risk for developing tardive syndromes, then, you know, sure, we, we give them anticholinergics, but we may not even get that much benefit from it. And then on top of that, we put them at potentially, at least statistically, increased risk of having dementia as well. So not a great option. And in fact, um, the algorithm that like Psychopharmacology Institute put out, they don't even have anticholinergics included. They literally want you to use all the other options yeah. um, before using that. So it's kind of interesting because I I know, you know, before I started looking back through some of the most recent data, anticholinergics at least were in the back of my mind as far as 
prophylactic mm-hmm. use and things like that, but it's really kind of trying to get away from that now. Right. Uh, but still used another EPS. Yes. Yeah, but not Tardif. Uh, other options include um, clonopin, ginkgo biloba, and amantadine. So clonopin, um, it seems to work uh, okay. Probably a better option than anticholinergics. Um, still, we have our concerns with benzos, right? Especially in the older, uh, the elderly, the elderly. Um, it's nice, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, pro- good to be cautious. Um, ginkgo, interestingly, does have pretty solid evidence as far as, um, as far as like you know herbal type remedies go, which is kind of cool. Much uh, better tolerated than uh, I would say clonopin or anticholinergics as far as less side effects go. And it may help. So, you know, to me, that's worth a try for sure. For, yeah. The, the, the one thing I will say to consider is if, because again, we're, a lot of these patients are going to be elderly would be as far as drug, drug interactions. I always think any of the, any of the herbal supplements that start with a G, which mm-hmm. that, that does not always apply because there's a bunch of them, but right. the major ones like ginkgo, ginseng, garlic, um, do have a potential for like decreasing like platelet aggregation. And so patients that are on like antiplatelets or, uh, anticoagulation medications, things like that, um, you could potentially increase the risk of bleed. Now, how clinically significant that is mm, hit or miss, but you might run into that patient that's on dual antiplatelet therapy, right. um, you know, post stent or something like that. And this would be an option at least to consider. Um, so it, that's a, the, probably the cheapest option we're going to talk about is a ginkgo over the counter for yeah. this, but uh, definitely um, being aware that there are drug drug interactions with it. Yeah. And then amantadine, I think the most, the most like, like the most impressive studies with amantadine, it's still not great evidence, uh, but uh, it's the extended release version of amantadine. Right. And it's like a pro dopamine type deal. They use it in yeah. Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Um, another thing that um, one patient I've had has tried is uh, Botox. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, may be useful for focal dystonia. Um, doesn't have great evidence, though. Um, they are looking at Botox for various things. Works pretty well in migraines, I think. Um, does. does your wife use that at all? Well, she doesn't do migraines anymore. She just does memory, but they did use it um, when she was doing migraines. Gotcha. For sure. Cool. Yeah. Uh, also, deep brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. Still not great evidence. Um, would only probably consider it as a last resort in like severe TD. Uh, but, you know, other things are looking into. Yeah. Apparently, there's the best evidence is showing like when you have a patient that has really severe um, TD, then placing the leads on the. Um, Globus pallidus interna, I believe is how you pronounce it. Is uh, it's how the cool the, kids say it. It's how the cool kids say it. Yeah, anytime I start talking about neurology is when I really <laughs> remember how dumb I am. But um, that shows to be uh, where the studies are kind of looking at there. But still, kind of like a level C evidence. Um, but I'm sure more to come as they continue to research it. Sure. So yeah, if we had to algorithmize this so if we had to create an algorithm out of it perfect yep nailed it uh we'd probably say um use the lowest effective dose of the antipsychotic the dopamine blocking agent to reduce risk for td um if we need to keep them on that and treat it we're going to start with our second gen vmat2 inhibitors that we talked about Uh, and then alternatively if we can't do that for price or other reasons consider clonopin or consider ginkgo biloba amantadine and those reserve therapies Yep. And we're not going to consider anticholinergics because, you know, not great in the elderly, low evidence. Evidence is trash. Yeah. As I like to say. Yep. Trash. 
It's the favorite. It's your favorite way to describe anything. It really bad, is. I, I started including that in most of my slide sets for my PA students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially diabetes. I have a whole whole long table of. I have a uh, Corvino approved, semi trash, trash, and then ultra trash. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's great. One of my students made that, and I've. It's one of your favorites. So we have I level have. of evidence A, B, C, D, and ultra trash. Ultra trash. Nice. Yeah. I just, I'm really hoping that the uh, FDA starts to incorporate that. We'll <laughs> see. But um, yeah, so that's kind of TD, I guess, in a, in a, uh, nut, egg, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's nutshell. Nutshell. I almost said eggshell. <laughs> like, uh, way to mess up the, the stupid saying. I don't even know what that saying means. That's yeah, dumb. I, I guess an eggshell would be. A longer podcast in a nutshell would be a shorter podcast. Yeah. You know, eggshells are bigger. Sounds reasonable. I think so. So um, anything else you got for that? No, I just you know, wanted to reiterate, uh, just make sure you're monitoring it uh, for it. Any patient that's on it, just keep an eye out, ask them some questions. Um, if it seems like it's TD, it's probably TD. And get um, look over that AIMS form too yeah. the, the aim score is something you can kind of use at least in kind of recognizing mild symptoms and being aware that that can kind of help right so take a look at that it's easy to find um but definitely a good option to look at anything else that's all i got man me too all right y'all thank you so much for uh taking the time to listen we always appreciate it um you know really uh we've gotten a lot of emails and um things lately that means the world to us i really really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to our podcast when there's thousands of others in them on the uh, you know, itunes and spotify and everything um thanks to all of our new uh we have a huge influx of irish listeners yes. now which is awesome you guys have the best accents in the business for Fantastic. sure i hear very, um, i'm very jealous i hear the bars over there are closed for a little while so i guess they are gonna be listening to this podcast there you go it's the next best thing <laughs> not quite but um yeah, so thank you guys so much for uh, following and listening. Now. We really appreciate it. I think uh, we may be having um, one of uh, our Irish colleagues on pretty soon, hopefully. hopefully. We'll see. Um, but anyways, if you guys uh, have any questions or you know concerns, comments, you want to ridicule us, that's cool. Um, you can uh, send us an email. Our emails will be below in the show notes. We also, you know, you can find us on any of the social media platforms pretty much. Um, you can text us directly, you know, area code 415-943-6116. Um, and, you know, if you ever have suggestions or things you want to hear, that'd be great. Um, also, if you do want to support the podcast, um, make sure you check out Patreon. Um, so it's patreon.com slash core console RX. And I, we've, I've been posting my lectures from my PA class up on the, on uh, Patreon. And I have my slide sets you can download. Um, it costs like $3 a month is like the minimum to donate for that. Honestly, if you guys, if you're a student, you don't have the money for it, just send me a message and I'll give you the link for free. I'm not really that worried about it. All the proceeds are going back into making the podcast that much better. It's not like Cole and I are going to be buying sports cars yeah. at this point anyway. And now if you see us riding around, you know, Charleston with a sports car, call us out. It's fine. Or we just bought it with our, <laughs> with our, own with our regular money. Which but, I would never do. But um, I might. <laughs> I would never buy a new car. We'll but, talk about um, that later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so check that out if you can. Um, like I said, uh, if, if it's something that, you guys feel like if it's a student, you want to check it out, but you can't afford it, please reach out to me. I'm, I'll give it to you for free. I'm not that worried about it. Um, or, heck, just one person spend $3 and then just share the code with all your friends and you can rip this off that way. Again, or I, like Netflix. I, my biggest thing is that I want you guys to learn with, with this podcast. So um, I'm not going to put any barriers to that up there. So check that out. Um, and 
again, appreciate everything you guys do for us listening and taking the time. We greatly appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.